just tuned in to join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. And we're so honored that you would join us in the opening of God's Word. Today is going to be a marvelous day in the Word of God as Pam opens up the very pages that give us life and give us purpose. So let's join Pam now as she reveals the truth of the day. Well, we're going to look at the third day miracle, the third day miracle. So if you're taking notes and I would encourage you to do so, I want you to write those uh, four words down, the third day miracle, because this is what we're looking at. I want to set us into context where we are when we jump into our reading, because Jesus and his earthly ministry, we know that Jesus would have been about 33 years old. Uh, When his earthly ministry began, before it really began, he went out into the desert to the wilderness and he fasted and he prayed for 40 days. And during that time, we know that Satan comes and he tempts him towards the end of that time in his weakest moment. And so Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he has been out there 40 days and this begins his public earthly ministry. And we found, we heard that John the Baptist, we've heard his words. He comes announcing Jesus as he's coming out of the wilderness. And somewhere in that time frame, as he's coming forward, John baptizes Jesus. And God had already told John the Baptist, the one that you see the Holy Spirit landing upon. And that's the one. That's the one because John had been out living, you know, like a desert man himself out in the desert and he hadn't seen his cousin all grown up. And so he didn't, he said, Lord, how will I recognize him? And so God said, this is how you know. And John saw that. And so he announces, this is the one, behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. And we looked at that, didn't we? And that outer court and, and, and what that meant for every Jewish audience and even the Gentiles, what it would mean to know that their sins were taken away. And so now when we come to John chapter 2, and we know also that Jesus begins to choose his disciples. There are some disciples that's been chosen, and we've, we've heard of some. Peter's been chosen, Andrew, Philip, um, Nathaniel, or Bartholomew. And so this ministry of Jesus has begun. And when we open up to John chapter 2, John is laying out for us the first miracle of the ministry of Jesus the public ministry of Jesus. And so this is why it's important because when we begin our reading in verse one of John chapter two, it says on the third day. And I would underline on the third day because John is very specific because he wants us to know that these things happened. Jesus is having these conversations and we know all of these things that's taken place. And so now Jesus begins to, to travel And uh, on the third day, he says, this is what happens. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. So Mary was already there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Can you imagine Jesus coming to your wedding? I mean, he wouldn't need to RSVP, right? So he's coming to the wedding. And so they're traveling. They're responding to this invitation, him and his disciples, the ones that he has so far. And they're coming to this wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. 
She states a fact. She states a need. They have no wine. In other words, they've run out. And Jesus said to her, and it sounds harsh at first, but we're going to break it down. Because when you read it, every mother that's ever been that first reads it will might say, well, my goodness, I can't believe you talked to his mother that way. Because he says, woman, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. So I want to give you a few points tonight. So point number one, I want you to write this down. It's a long road to glory. It's a long road to glory. And this is what we see right here just in these first four verses because as they're traveling, John chapter 2 begins with Jesus and his disciples traveling to this wedding. Now, it doesn't give us these details. He just says they were invited to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Well, the Cana of Galilee, this would have been a journey of about 80 miles from where they were in Bethany. So about 80 miles, which would take about 27 hours to walk. Now, that's a wedding that Jesus wants to get to. So we know that this is important. Whoever's getting married... It's assumed that maybe it's a family member because his mother is already there, maybe helping out. So it's just implied that it's important. So this is a long trek to get there. And you'll kind of see where it shows us where it is. And the Sea of Galilee, for us who have been to Israel, we were in Tiberias right here. We went to Magdala and we saw the unearthing of where Magdala was, where Mary Magdalene was. Um, Gennesaret, which, you know, the Sea of Galilee is called the Sea of Gennesaret sometimes because of just depending on where you are. We went to Capernaum. But if you go inward in the land, we know that that's where Cana was, where Jesus traveled to this wedding. And at this wedding, the mother of Jesus comes up to him somewhere in the midst of this celebration and says, they have no wine. They have no wine. And Jesus says to her, my hour has not yet come. So let me give you what the word hour here means in the Greek language so you'll know and you'll understand what is Jesus talking about. Hour here means an appointed or completed time. An appointed time or completed time. An appointed time. And Jesus, what he's saying to his mother when he says, woman... What does that have to do with us? With us, meaning me and my disciples, maybe her. You know, the the terminology is not real clear. But we do know that he's addressing his mother, listen, not as his mother, but as a follower of him. He's addressing her because you got to understand, Jesus was not only her son, he was her Lord. You talk about a a difficult and kind of a confusing relationship at times because Mary, even though she was his mother, still had to know her place as his follower. That I'm your follower first. You're my Lord first before you are my son. And somewhere in his growing up years, that, that, that transitioned into that relationship. And so when he addresses her to say woman in that time, even to your mother, was not an offense It was not an offense. In fact, it's a term of respect. 
But he was asking her, what does that have to do with us? Because my hour has not yet come. I've not come on the scene here to this place to display who I am here. Because you see, what Jesus is saying is, I've reserved for that knowing and that showing of really who the bridegroom is for another wedding gathering someday. See, this hour hasn't yet come. And so we know that she understood what he was saying because we're going to see it in just a minute. But write this nugget down first because he's traveled a long way to get there. She's wanting something. She's wanting the need met, his mother. But the nugget here is glory comes when the work is finished. Jesus is referring to a finished work, that there's going to be a wedding someday, a gathering at the great marriage supper of the Lamb, but that's not the hour now. It's, not, it's the wrong wedding, mother. It's the wrong wedding. So that hour, my, my hour to be shown as the true bridegroom, as the king, it's not here yet. And sometimes we so want Jesus to show himself, don't we? We so want the glory to come. Have you ever prayed that for your enemies? You know you have. <laughs> Just show them who you are. Just show your glory. Or people that's doubted you, show your glory here. Or when your faith is struggling, Lord, I, I want you to just show and prove who you are. And I believe that was the heart of Mary in this situation. But there's sometimes we got to understand, you know, glory takes the long road. But that hour, glory comes when the work is finished. And he's saying the work's not finished. It's actually just beginning. It's just beginning. It's the third day, and this is painting a beautiful picture for us, and we're going to get it tonight, I hope, with the Lord's help. And you see, we can know if the glory hasn't come, then He's not finished yet. Amen. There's some glory that's tucked away for Jesus to be revealed in the hour that God's appointed it. Second Corinthians, Paul writes this to the church of Corinth, 417, chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, For momentary light affliction... And sometimes affliction doesn't seem light, does it, in the moment. Is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are, are not seen are eternal. What's he saying? There's a coming glory, but you got to wait for it. you got to wait for it. And you can't make it happen. You can't orchestrate it. And so as we continue reading, Mary gets what he's saying. You may not see it at first, but when he says to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour hasn't come yet. For me to be the bridegroom, for me to actually do the work in this place, it's not the time yet. It's coming. My ministry is just starting, but this is not how it's to start because he's painting a picture for us that what we're to do until the final glory does come. And she gets it because when he says that, what do we see Mary doing in verse 5? This is what she says. She turns her attention. Here's Mary. Her son and her Lord is talking to her. She gets it. She turns away from the Lord and her immediate attention goes to the servants. She knows that the work is not for him to do until that final glory comes. 
The work is for the servants to do. She understood it. Would you just want to slap somebody over that? I want to slap myself over that. She understood it. I've heard people teach this passage and say, well, he put his mother in her place. No, he didn't. She already knew her place. He wasn't disrespectful to his mother. He's teaching us something because she got it. She understood there's something that's going to happen. But until that final glory comes, until that wedding supper, she says to the servants, and I want you to get this, whatever he says to you, do it. It wasn't the hour of the bridegroom. It was the hour of the servant. Let that settle just a second. What wisdom and understanding Mary had in that moment to know what her son was telling her, what her Lord was telling her, she got it. I mean, she'd been with him since he was born. She knew his heart. She knew that his heart was not to not meet a need, but she understood the hour was not for Jesus to step in and to do it all. It was the hour of the servant. It's the hour of the servant, which brings us to point number two. When she says, whatever he says to you, do it. Point number two, his word is our compass. His word is our compass. So, well, I don't know what to do in this situation. Well, what, what has the Lord said? What do we know that he's already said? Or what is he telling you to do? If we just, if somebody said, what does it look like to live the Christian life? It would be in verse five, the words of Mary. Whatever Jesus says to you, tells you to do, do it. Well, I don't know how to live the Christian life. Whatever he says to you to do, do it. Well, well, what should I do in this situation? How should I respond? Well, whatever he tells you to do, do it. How do I follow Jesus? Do whatever he tells you to do. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty simple. I'm sure those servants are thinking, I'm not sure what's going on. And so here's these little servants that's been working, listen, for the bridegroom. They're there for the bridegroom and the bride. And they've been serving the bride and the bridegroom. And I don't want us to lose sight of these precious servants because this pertains to us. What he was saying, it's not my hour, it's their hour. It's the hour of the servant. And the word do here, when she says, whatever he says to do, do it. Let me give you what the word do here means. You say, Pam, do you really need to define that? Well, I think so, because it's been translated several times over to get, even to get to our language. So we miss the depth of the meanings of the word. The word do here in the original Greek language means carry it out. Do it well. Execute it and celebrate it. So here we go. Carry it out. Do it well. Execute it. Celebrate it. So we could put in there whatever he tells you to do, carry it out. Whatever he tells you to do, do it well. Whatever he tells you to do, execute it. Whatever he tells you to do, listen, celebrate it. Oh, my Lord's given me assignment, an assignment today. Oh, I can't believe the Lord told me to forgive my enemies. Yay! 
Love those, forgive those who persecute you. Yay! Celebrate it, carry it out, do it well. I mean, when you forgive, you forgive. I mean, don't hold anything back. Lavish the forgiveness on them. When he tells you to give monetarily, to serve in a situation, whatever it is, he said, you celebrate it. It's what his word's telling us. Celebrate it, execute it, do it well. Don't do it half-hearted. If you're a teacher of his word, if you're a leader in the church, lead well, study well. Give it all you've got. That's what Mary was saying to these servants, and this is what he's saying to us today, because it is still the hour of the servant. Still the hour of the servant until his hour comes. Let me give you a nugget right here. Because you see, they ran out of wine, didn't they? They ran out of their source. Sometimes the Lord allows the source to run dry because he wants to provide something better. And we're going to see that in this story. Sometimes the Lord allows the source to run dry because he wants to provide something better. He wants to provide something better. So I've gotten frustrated with the Lord before. I've gotten confused when a source ran dry. And I think, I don't know what you're doing. Why aren't you providing right here? Because, Pam, I have something better. And I didn't see it at the time. But this is the beautiful picture that's being uh, painted, that's kind of coming to life for us on the canvas of the scripture. Whatever he tells you to do, Mary said do it because Mary understood something better was coming. Something better is always coming. His response, and, and here's the thing. She goes to him with a need, and she says, they're out of wine. He doesn't say, stop the wedding. We're out of wine. We've got to provide wine. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He responds in a different way. A way that maybe, you know, even the servants or his mother didn't understand, but they trusted it. And sometimes his response to our, our need, that's his answer. However he responds. We'll try to go out and make things happen. Sometimes circumstances just kind of present it for us, doesn't it? Okay, well, this is his answer. I'm just going to kind of wait, and I'm going to wait until he tells me. I'm going to live by thus says the Lord. I'm going to wait on him. Let me give you another nugget because I think it's a beautiful one. I think we ought to paint this somewhere on our, in our walls or somewhere. Obedience is the Lord's love language. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You see, obedience is the, is the Lord's love language. What speaks to the heart of God? What speaks to the heart of our Savior? Obedience. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You know, I have my, my tombstone is getting bigger by the year. I have all these things I want it to say. They're going to have to cement it and put it on the ground probably. And, you know, I want a censor so when people pass by, my voice comes out of the grave with a, with a heart-stopping message. You know, you're in a cemetery. People need hope in a cemetery. But I thought, what if we could put on our tombstones... She did what the Lord told her to do. And she did it with excellence. She obeyed fully. She obeyed with excellence. She carried out the will of the Lord. 
Whatever he gave her to do, she did it. He did it. I mean, that'd be cause for celebration in a cemetery. I'd be inspired by that. I love to go in cemeteries. I don't know about you, but I love to go in cemeteries. I love to read the tombstones. And if somebody's been dead a really long time, I figured nobody has said their name. So I'm just going to say their name. Say, Thomas, buddy, nobody has said your name. You died 120 years ago. I wish I had known you, Thomas. Maybe we'll meet him together. I'm going to say Thomas's name. I'm going to speak his name and remember Thomas. See, there are places that we will be remembered. Things that we do that people will remember us for. But do you know what heaven remembers you for? Your obedience. Your obedience. Because it is the Lord's love language. If you're a follower of mine, he said, you're going to be a doer of the word. You're going to keep my commandments. Whatever I tell you to do, you're going to follow it fully with all your heart. Let's keep reading. Well, let me give you a quote by D.L. Moody. I love this. There will be no peace in any soul until it is willing to obey the voice of God. Now, remember, Jesus was God, right? We've already learned that principle. There will be no peace in any soul, in any soul, until it is willing to obey the voice of God, the voice of the Lord. That's where peace comes from. And if you don't have peace in something, check where you are in the will of God. Is there something that you're not obeying? Is there some area you're out of alignment with him? Because if when you're aligned with him, you'll have peace. You will have peace. Let's keep reading verses six and eight. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification. Now Mary's just said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. Listen, the person in charge of the wedding feast. It's a picture of God the Father for us. It's a person in charge. You see, these six clay pots, these, these stone pots are sitting there, and they contain this water for purification where they could wash and they could purify themselves. But evidently, these pots weren't filled Because he says, take them and fill them up to the brim. Fill them up to the brim, which brings us to point number three. There is power in the filling. There's power in the filling because these pots weren't full. If I'm running on empty, if I'm half full, meaning of of the, the, the Lord, and I'm not refilling myself all the time. I have nothing to pour out. I'm empty. You know, I can remember being a young mom and just running on empty just about every day. You have to refill. So the first thing that Jesus addresses for the servants is fill what's empty. Fill it with the water that I'm telling you to fill it with, which we know if you study God's word that the word of God is the living waters. First thing he addresses is those pots aren't, aren't full. 
They're not full. So I want you to fill it up to the brim and then I want you to draw some out and I want you to take it to the head waiter. And I'm sure these little servants are saying, well, they're out of wine. We filled it up with water and he wants us to draw this water and take it to the person in charge. We are going to be in so much trouble. Can't you imagine the little servants? I mean, I'm sure they would have gotten blamed some way for this. Did you not monitor? Did you not just kind of um, uh, gauge how much wine we were pouring and kind of pull back to keep us from running out? Did you give us a warning? Were you prepared? And so when he tells them, fill it up with water and take the water to the head waiter, I'm sure they're wondering what's going to happen in this. What's going to happen? You see, half-filled pots will never do with the Lord. Half-filled pots will never do. I don't want to be a half-filled pot, do you? I don't want to be. I don't want to be. Your nugget right here, listen, supply, and talking about the wine, supply wasn't necessary, servants were. The provision or the supply, however you want to word that, sometimes we think, oh, he's just got to drop it. He's got to send the ravens and I need to go out and just pluck it, you know, and catch it from the sky or pluck it from the ground like the manna. He's got to do the work for us. And I know people with that mentality and it drives me crazy. I'm going to sit back and God's going to bring it to me. I I heard a missionary one time and they were going, I won't say it in case they ever watch this tape. They'll know I'm talking about them. But... And I don't want that. But I'm using them as an example. And in, in the interview um, on the mission board, and, and I knew about the questions and was part of that process, and they said, well, how are you going to witness? You know, what is your witness plan of action over there in this country, in the jungles? And he said, I'm just going to build my house. I'm going to sit on my front porch with a rocking chair, and when people pass by, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Well, what if they don't pass by? How are they going to hear? Sometimes our lazy mentality is that he's going to do it for us and he's going to bring it to us and we just, then we'll be obedient. You you provide, Lord, and then I'll give. You bless and then I'll bless. You move first and then I'll serve. You fill me with the want to and then I'll say yes and I'll do it. But that's not where Jesus started with them because you see the supply of the wine for the servant to do their job wasn't necessary. But the living waters were. You see, the living waters were. Types of servants that we see in the church that we can see in the body of Christ and even really out in the world, but especially in the church. And you're going to know which one you ring truer to. And I'm going to give you, there are three. And we see it right here in this story. First of all, there are those that fill. Those that fill. In other words, they only fill. They keep filling and keeping and pouring it in themselves and sitting and soaking and souring. Sit, sit soak, and sour. They, they just, I'm just going to fill up. I'm going I'm to get in every Bible study I can get in. I'm going to listen to all these preaching podcasts. I'm going to read all these books. I'm going to keep taking all these classes and all these things, and I'm just going to keep filling and filling and filling and growing my brain and all of this knowledge. So there are those that fill, that keep, that keep. Then second, there are those that draw, those that draw. These are people that are takers, 
They're takers. They did not do the filling, but they don't mind drawing from others' supply. They're not going to take the time to fill. They're not going to take the time to do study of God's Word or to pray on their own. They're just takers. I want you to pray for me. I want you to show me how to do this, or I want you to do this for me. They're just takers, 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 takers. So we have those that are fillers. All they do is just keep stuffing and stuffing and stuffing. And then there are those that just take and take and take because they just draw. All they're doing is drawing out, giving nothing back. And then third, there are those that actually do the serving. Because you see, the servants, they had to fill it first. They had to draw it out. And then they had to go serve it to the head waiter. So there are those that serve. And you say, what does that mean? They give and they give and they give and they give. All they do is serve. They never are filled. They never are renewed. They don't sit down and just make sure that they themselves are fed. They just give, 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 serve, serve, serve. So you've got those that just take in just for themselves. They just fill, fill, fill. There are those that just take, take, take. There are those that serve, 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 never being filled themselves. I want you to write this nugget down because any one of these three types individually, this is true for them. They're encountering the guest, but not the Savior. At this wedding, this is what we would have seen. They're encountering the guest, these servants, but not the Savior. They're encountering the guest, but not the, not the Savior. What a sad place to be. I know people who burn themselves out in ministry, who don't take the time to worship themselves, who don't take the time to feed themselves in Bible studies and things like that because they're just too busy serving. And then I know people who just want to take and sit and they'll stay in a Bible, they'll, they'll stay solid in Bible study and taking all that they can take for 20 and 30 years and never giving out anything just keeping it all to themselves. And then there are those that just take, take, take. Selfish. They take from other people. They don't do the work themselves. They take from other people. But you see, for the power to be known, and I want you to get this if you don't get anything else tonight about the servant, about serving. For the power of Jesus to be known, for His supply to be received into the lives of those that need it, the servant had to have all three of these areas in place. They have to have all three. They have to fill. They have to draw and pour out. And they have to serve. You have to have all three. And when all three are in place, do you know who does get the glory? The bridegroom, yes, Jesus. The bridegroom, it's that balance. And you know, when, I, when, when my balance is off, I'm not a good server. I might go and say, here. Here it is. I drew it out for you. What else you want? When, I don't, when I'm not balanced in all three of these, I know it. You know, they can call it burnout or whatever they want. Whatever the wording there is that suits your fancy. 
When you get to the place where you're tired of people, you don't want to serve, you're aggravated, ministry and serving the Lord is a chore, and you're counting the cost, you're off in one of these areas. Something's out of balance. Something's out of balance. And if you, the more that you pour out, listen to me, the more that you give of yourself, the more that you pour out, whether it's for your family, in your work, in ministry, in your community, whatever it is, the more that you pour out, the more that you must fill back in. You have to keep filling back what you've poured out. And you have to keep serving with that. You go in the service of that emptying and that filling. You go in the service of that. And that's going to determine the area of ministry that the Lord can use you in, is the level that you have a balance. And I love that he put this story in the Bible, that this was the Lord's first ministry, the first miracle that he did, the first act of his ministry. You say, why would this be important? Because he's setting a standard for us. It's the rule of first mentioned in Bible study, that it sets a precedence right here. And the spotlight in this is on the servant and how the servant brings glory and points to the bridegroom and not themselves. You see, Jesus is trying to reach the Nicodemuses of the world that are scared, that are confused, that have been taught wrong, that haven't been given the truth, that's been given the wrong image of Christianity, that have to come to Jesus by night, but so desperately want to know Him, so desperately want to know how to get to Him. He wants to reach the Nicodemuses of the world. John MacArthur said this, when the reality of Christ is introduced into a relationship of love and trust that has already been established, the effect is powerful. The effect is powerful. And this, the servants back here, before they ever went public out there and were used to bring glory to Him, could serve the waters that Jesus told them, that Jesus instructed them to have. They first had to be back here in that one-on-one with Jesus. If you don't have that one-on-one with Jesus, if you don't know him back here with the water pots, you won't know him out here with the people. See, we, we got to know him back here in the secret place, back here in the area where we're listening to him and we're communing with him and we know we've got, we, we're, we're in his will. We've heard from him. We know thus saith the Lord. And in that, in that, now we can go out here and we'd be confident. Even if we don't know what it is we've drawn out, we just know that he told us to do it. And we can trust it. I'm sure those little servants had that water going to the head waiter. <gasps> you know, we drew it out. We drew it out. We want to give it and run. But I love this, the, what is painted for us. Let me give you a nugget right here. You see, Jesus wants true servants, and this is what he's looking for, true servants. Obedience to his word fills the clay pots of the world. Obedience to his word fills the clay pots of the world. And listen, we're clay pots. I don't care how cracked you are. You might be a cracked pot. You might have some holes in it. But he uses the clay pots of the world. 
And he's showing us this. I'm using earthen vessels. I'm using the little nobodies of the world that are not out there. They weren't the invited guests. They're the low on the totem pole. They're behind the scenes. As we keep reading, we see in verses 9 and 10, when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine, he did not know where it came from, but the servants did. See, the servants did. The head waiter called, listen, the bridegroom. Now who is getting the glory? Where does the spotlight fall? On the bridegroom, not the servants. Not even the head waiter, the person in charge, falls on the bridegroom. He says, bridegroom, come here. Come here, he says. Every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, that means when they're a little, you know, schnookered. Then he serves the poorer wine. But you've kept the good wine, he says, until now. In other words, they wouldn't know you're serving them anything bad. But you've come out with the good. Last. You've saved the best for last. Point number four. Everything is for the exalting of the bridegroom. Everything in your life is to exalt the bridegroom. Everything. Everything. Everything is to exalt him, not you. And your nugget right here, your nugget right here is this. The minute we forget it's all about the glory and honor of the bridegroom, then we've made it about ourselves. The minute that we forget it's all about his glory and not ours and not honor him, then we've made it about us. Those servants could have easily gone up there and said, hey, we did the work. I mean, this is the outcome, but I want you to know, look, me and Sam and Fred, I mean, it was hard hauling that water out. We had to sneak those clay pots. Do you know how much those clay pots weigh? Or do you know how far we had to go to draw that water? It's not like they could have a faucet and turn it on. It took some labor to fill those water pots up. So, I mean, we've done the work. They didn't go out there patting themselves on the back. They just quietly served. And it's like Jesus told his disciples one time, blessed are your eyes that see the things that you see. You know the things that nobody else knows. You've seen things that nobody else has seen. Blessed are the things your eyes see. And they knew. They were just, it was enough for them to know that they had been used by the Lord. That He used my hands. He used me to fill those pots and he used me to draw it out and he used me to take it over here to serve it so he would get the glory. I was just a conduit of everything I did for the bridegroom to be called forward. That's what it's about. And when we as a church have made it about ourselves and our petty disputes and our grumblings and our dissatisfactions, our Lord knows when we put the spotlight on us and we brag about what we've done for the Lord, it is no longer about the bridegroom and you're serving earthly waters instead of living waters. Slap yourself. Listen, that's hard truth, but it's truth. It's truth. Living waters will always point to the bridegroom. It will always call him out of a crowd. And that servant is pleased to never be named, to never get the credit, to never insert themselves to let everybody know their part in the work. They never did that. 
Our last point, and I'll close with this. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Because when we keep reading the next, this last verse, John 2.11, in our passage that we're studying, it says, this beginning of his signs, we know, we know that this was the beginning of his signs. This, the beginning of signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. He revealed his glory to his servants, to his disciples. No one else knew, not in the wedding party out there, but those little servants knew. You see, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. When we turn to Revelation 19.9, it says, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those. These are true words of God. Do you know what invited means when it says blessed are those who are invited? Because you remember Jesus and his disciples went because they were invited. They were invited. Invited means to summon, to call out, to call by name, to be personally asked to do something. Blessed are those who've been invited, who've been summoned, who've been called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, on the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan. This is the beginning of his Miracles. His last miracle is seen on the third day as well. Set an empty tomb. And on the third day, on the third day, they came to an empty tomb, and Jesus was not there for he had risen. See, it's all about the third day miracle. And this is what Jesus is telling us from here to there from this earthly serving over here to this third day miracle right here to that final third day miracle. You keep serving. You keep obeying because there's, there's a third day miracle in heaven that's coming that we know we're all going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The best is yet to come is what Jesus was telling his mother and his disciples and the servants who were listening. My, listen, my hour hasn't come yet, but it's coming. It's coming. You see, that third day, we're to wait for his glory. We're to obey his word. We're to keep serving until the bridegroom comes. We're to make it about honoring him. And let me give you one final nugget. One final nugget. Your present situation is not your final destination. Only an opportunity for the bridegroom to get the glory. Whatever your present situation is, whatever you've run out of, whether it's faith or hope or joy or strength or provision financially, a job, a home, whatever it is, peace, whatever it is, Says your present situation, no matter how what a struggle it is, no matter how hopeless it is, that's not your final destination. It's only an opportunity for you to magnify Jesus in it by doing what you know his word tells you to do. Just obedience. Just obedience. My little granny lived by these words all the days of her life. 
She would say there's nothing sweeter than walking with Jesus. There's nothing sweeter than obeying Jesus. There's nothing more important than following him where he leads. You see, no matter what happened in Granny's life, and she buried two children, son-in-law, outlived all her brothers and sisters, lost her mom at a young age. She was a teenager. Buried her husband long before she did, long before she died. But for her, it was all about continuing on with him. Because it's your third day miracle. It's your third day miracle. When you begin with Jesus, we know that we're a servant. And there's someday we're going to be at a wedding. There will be no empty pots, but there will be earthen pots who understood what it was like to be filled with him and to be able to draw Jesus out of themselves to give him away. It's giving Jesus away in every situation, in every life that crosses your path. Just give Jesus away. Give Jesus away. doesn't cost us anything to do that, does it? To give Jesus away. So it's about the servant, and it's the hour of the servant, but someday the glory's coming when we'll rest and we'll be at the get, we'll be the guest, and we'll sit at the table, and nothing will be short of supply there. You've been listening to Join the Word with beloved Bible teacher and author Pam Jenkins. Here at JBOP Ministries, we're so honored that you would join us for the reading of God's Word. We pray that today's message has been an encouragement to your soul. Join us next time for Join the Word with Pam Jenkins. God bless y'all.